Swami welcomes you with great love and great respect from the heart of all. You have found your way to meditative living with Swami Shivananda Giri. Welcome. Now, today we continue with our exploration of Gyaneshvar's Gita. If you have not heard the first three episodes, you should really go back to episode one of Gyaneshvar's Gita and begin there. Otherwise, you'll be out of sync and... Some of this will not make sense. Last time, we finished off chapter one, the depression of Arjuna. Today, we begin chapter two, the yoga of knowledge. First, Kindly allow this Swami to pranam at the feet of this Swami's Sadguru, His Holiness, Mahamandeleshwar Paramahamsa Swarupananda Vishwaguru Maharaj Swami of Los Angeles, California, who in 2007 became the very first white-skinned, American-born human being invited into the rank of the 80 Mahamandeleshwars, in whose care all ashrams of the 10 Swami orders of ancient India they are all cared for by the 80 Mahamandeleshwars. And this Swami's guru, lovingly referred to as HH, in 2007 became the first white-skinned American-born human being on this planet to achieve such a responsibility. Now, H.H. assigned this Swami the task of sharing with you this text called Gyaneshvar's Gita. What this is, it is in essence the Bhagavad Gita, which you may already be familiar with, but this version contains the commentary of a young man 
named Gyaneshvar, who committed these words to paper in the year 1290 of the Common Era. So, let us begin chapter 2, The Yoga of Knowledge. Sanjaya spoke, verse 1. To him, thus overcome by pity, despairing, whose eyes were filled with tears and downcast, Krishna spoke these words. This now, Gyaneshvar's commentary. Then Sanjaya said to the king, Listen, O king, Arjuna, overcome with grief, began to weep. Seeing all his kinsmen before him, Arjuna was filled with deep affection, and his heart melted with pity. To what can it be compared? His heart, though valiant, became tender, like salt dissolving in water, or clouds driven by the wind. Overcome by compassion, he seemed to wither like a swan caught in the mud. Seeing Arjuna overcome with deep emotion, Lord Krishna said, The Blessed Lord spoke. Verse 2. Whence has this timidity of yours come to you in time of danger? It is not acceptable in you, does not lead to heaven, and causes disgrace, Arjuna. Gyaneshvar's commentary. O oh, Arjuna, first, consider if your behavior is proper in this place. Who are you? What are you doing? What is the matter with you? What prevents you from acting? Why this grief? Do not allow unworthy thoughts to enter your mind. Do not lose courage, for at the mention of your name, defeat would flee to the four quarters. You are the incarnation of heroism, a prince among warriors. The fame of your might echoes throughout the three worlds. Didn't you overcome Hara in battle? Didn't you slay the demons, Nivatakavaka? Haven't you made the heavenly poets sing of your brave deeds? When compared to you, 
the three worlds are insignificant. Oh, Arjuna, so great is your valor. In spite of this, today you weep. Your head droops. And you abandon all your courage. Consider this, O Arjuna. You are weakened by pity. Tell me, is the sun ever swallowed up by darkness? Does the wind stand in terror of a cloud? Can nectar ever die? Is fire ever consumed by fuel? Will salt ever dissolve water? Will the Kalakuta poison die from being touched? Will a small frog ever swallow a large serpent? Has such a wonder ever happened that a jackal should fight and win against a lion? But your actions seem to indicate that these things might really happen. Therefore, O oh Arjuna, pay no attention to these unworthy thoughts. Wake up! And take courage. Rid yourself of this foolishness. Arise and take up your bow. Of what use is pity on the battlefield? O oh, Arjuna, you have wisdom. Why don't you reflect now? Is pity appropriate at the time of battle? Lord Krishna said, this will mar your present fame and prevent you from entering heaven. Verse 3. Do not become a coward, Arjuna. This is not suitable to you. Abandoning base faint-heartedness Stand up, Arjuna! Gyanishvar is coming. So, do not grieve, O Arjuna. Be full of courage and shake off this dejection. This does not befit you. By this, all that you have acquired will be lost. Consider this. At the hour of battle, pity is of no value. Have these men only now become your kinsmen? Haven't you already known them as such? Haven't you recognized them as kinsmen? This excess of feeling is out of place. Is today's battle a new thing in your life? In your race, there is always some occasion for strife. Then what has come over you today? Why has pity come to you? 
I do not know, O Arjuna, but you have acted wrongly. If you hold on to this illusion, the reputation you have will vanish. And then, for you, both heaven and earth will be lost. Faint-heartedness is never a sign of goodness. Moreover, for a warrior, it is the same as defeat in battle. Thus, in various ways, the most merciful Lord taught him. Hearing this, Arjuna spoke. Verse 4. How can I kill in battle Bhishma and Drona, O Krishna? How can I fight with arrows against these two venerable men, O Krishna? Gyaneshwar's commentary. O Lord, there is no need to say any more. Listen, first, consider this fight yourself. It is wrong to think of this as war. Instead, it seems that a great crime is being committed. It has fallen to us to destroy our elders. Look, reverence is due to our parents, and our actions should please them. How can we slay them with our own hands? O oh Lord, the saints and sages are worthy of our salutations. Whenever possible, we should worship them. How can we abuse them with our speech? Likewise, we should show proper reverence to our family teachers. I am greatly indebted to Bhishma and Drona. How can we slay them now, O Lord? when even in our dreams we have never harbored any spite against them. What a wretched life! What fate has befallen all these people! Should we display our warriors' training by killing them? I, Arjuna, was taught by Drona. It was he who instructed me in the science of archery. Shall I repay him by taking his life? Am I the demon Basmashura, that I should betray one from whom I have received such kindness? We are told that the sea is calm, and on the surface, it appears to be so, and it seems that Drona's heart is never disturbed. The sky appears to be boundless. Can it be measured? In the same way, Drona's heart is deep and unfathomable. Nectar perhaps might be spoiled, and the force of time might break the thunderbolt, but nothing could ever shake his purpose. There is no greater love than a mother's, 
but Drona is kindness incarnate. Drona is the source of all compassion, the storehouse of all virtue, the boundless ocean of learning. Therefore, we regard him as a great saint, and he is full of compassion for us. How then can we think of destroying him? Chapter 5, excuse me, verse 5. Indeed, instead of slaying these noble gurus, it would be preferable to live on alms here on earth, having slain the gurus with desire for worldly gain. I would enjoy here on earth delights smeared with blood. Yanisvara's commentary. I cannot find it in my heart to slay such men in battle. And then enjoy a kingdom? It would be far better to go begging for alms than to enjoy even more unattainable things than this. I will not take up a weapon against them. It would be better to leave my country or to retire into the solitude in the mountains. Shall we drown in blood by shooting sharp arrows into their hearts to win the pleasure of kingship? Having won it, what should we do then? How could we enjoy such tainted pleasures? I cannot accept this proposal. Verse 6. And this we do not know, which for us is preferable, whether we should conquer them or they should conquer us. The sons of Drishtatastra, having killed whom we would not wish to live, they are standing before us. Yanishwar's commentary. Arjuna said, O oh Krishna, listen! But hearing Arjuna's words, Krishna was not pleased. Realizing this, Arjuna was afraid. Again he said, O oh Lord, why do you not listen to my words? I have expressed what is in my mind but you know best what is right. These men are arrayed here for battle. If we engage in conflict with them, we must be ready to die. Should we slay them or immediately abandon the battlefield? We don't know which course of action is better. Verse 7. My own being is overcome by pity 
and weakness. My mind is confused as to my duty. I ask you, which is preferable for certain? Tell that to me, your pupil. Correct me, I beg of you. Gyaneshwar's commentary. I feel confused when I wonder what is proper for us, and my mind is distracted because of this confusion. When darkness pervades all space, one's vision is dimmed, and then even things which are near are invisible. O oh Lord, I am in a predicament. For a mind overcome with confusion cannot understand where its own good lies. Therefore, O Krishna, you know everything and should tell us what is right. For you are our friend and are everything to us. You are truly our teacher, brother, and father. You are our chosen deity. You alone are our protector in time of difficulty. The guru never forsakes his disciples. The sea never refuses the water of a river. How could a child live having been abandoned by its mother? Oh, Krishna, listen! Oh, Lord, you are everything to us. We have no one but you. If what I have already said displeases you. Verse 8. Indeed, I do not see what will dispel this sorrow of mine, which dries up my senses, even if I should obtain on earth unrivaled and prosperous royal power, or even the sovereignty of the gods. Gyaneshvar's commentary. Tell us quickly what is appropriate for us, O Krishna, and how we may not fail to perform our duty. The grief that has arisen in my heart at the sight of my kinsmen cannot be removed except by your words. Even if I should obtain the whole earth and gain the sovereignty of Indra, the doubt in my mind could not be resolved. Just as seeds which have been roasted can never germinate, even though they may be sown in the richest soil, and plentifully watered, or just as when a person's days are numbered, no medicine can have any effect, for only the purest nectar would be of any use. Similarly, none of the pleasures of a kingdom can entice me at all. O Krishna, your compassion alone is my support. Arjuna spoke in this way, and for a short time his confusion disappeared. But then 
a fresh wave of distraction overwhelmed him. It seemed to me that there was really no wave. It was something else. He was swallowed up by the great serpent of infatuation, which at the most intense moment of his pity attacked his innermost heart. Thus, the waves of grief would not subside. Realizing the force of this, Lord Krishna, who with a mere glance can destroy poison, hastened towards him like a snake charmer. Krishna was near Arjuna when he was suffering in this way, and by the power of his grace, he would protect him. With this in mind, I said that Arjuna was attacked by the serpent of infatuation. Here was Arjuna overcome by infatuation, just as the sun is at times overshadowed by a mass of clouds. Like a mountain consumed by fire in summer, Arjuna was afflicted with grief. Then Lord Krishna turned towards him like a cloud of deep blue, moist with the nectar of kindness, and spoke to him. The brilliance of his glance was like flashing lightning, and his deep speech was like the roar of thunder. The generous cloud will now send down such a shower of rain that Arjuna, like a mountain, will cool down and the green shoots of knowledge will begin to burst forth. Gyanadeva, the disciple of Nivriti, says, listen with full attention to this story. Sanjaya spoke. Verse 9. Thus, having addressed Krishna, Arjuna said, I shall not fight. And having spoken, he became silent. Gyanishvar's commentary. While narrating this, Sanjaya said, O king, what did Arjuna? again overcome with grief, say. Listen, he sorrowfully said to Krishna, I will not fight. Do not try to persuade me. With these words, he suddenly fell silent. Lord Krishna was astonished to see him in such a condition. Verse 10. To him, the dejected Arjuna, Krishna beginning to laugh. O Dhritarashtra, in the middle between the two armies, spoke these words. Yanishvar's commentary. He said to himself, Krishna spoke. What is he thinking of? Arjuna is quite ignorant. 
what can be done? How can he be brought back to his senses? How can he be made to take heart? Just as an exorcist considers how to cast out an evil spirit, or just as a physician who finds someone suffering from a dangerous illness, as the crisis approaches, instantly prescribes a magic remedy like nectar. Similarly, between the two armies, Krishna reflected on how Arjuna could cast off his infatuation. Having decided what to do, he began to speak in an angry tone. Just as a mother's love is often concealed in her anger. The potency of nectar is hidden in the bitter taste of medicine. Even though it is not outwardly visible, it is revealed by the effectiveness of the medicine. In the same way, Krishna spoke to Arjuna with words which, though seemingly bitter, were actually very sweet. The blessed Lord spoke. Verse 11. You have mourned those that should not be mourned. And yet, you speak words as if with wisdom. The wise do not mourn for the dead or for the living. Yadishvara's commentary. Then Krishna said to Arjuna, I am astonished at what you have said in the midst of all this. You pretend to be wise, and yet you do not give up your ignorance. You wish to be taught, and yet you talk too much. Your wisdom is like that of a man who, having been born blind, afterwards loses his reason and wanders here and there. You are utterly ignorant of yourself, and yet you are ready to grieve for these Karavas? This constantly surprises me. Oh, Arjuna, tell me, if you believe that the three worlds owe their existence to you. Isn't it true that the universe is without beginning? Is it wrong to say that there is only one supreme being from whom all creatures emanate? Do you think that you have created this life? Is it true that you destroy all who die? Through the blindness of egoism, are you saying that these men are immortal because you have not thought of killing them? You are allowing confusion to enter your mind.
when you think that you are the one who destroys and that those men are the ones who perish. All this has existed from beginningless time. It is born and it dies according to its own nature. Tell me then, why should you grieve? It is ignorance that causes you to believe in this way. You shouldn't have this wrong kind of understanding, yet you speak to me of morality. The wise grieve neither the living nor the dead, whether they live or pass away. Verse 12. Truly, there was never a time when I was not, nor you, nor these lords of men, and neither will there be a time when we shall cease to be from this time onward. Ganeshvar's commentary. Krishna says, Oh, Arjuna, listen to what I tell you. Here are you and I and these kings and all the others. Such ideas that we remain forever or that we perish cannot remain when examined without confusion. The idea that things can be born or die is only an illusion. In reality, matter is indestructible. When the surface of water is agitated by the wind, waves appear on it. Yet, who can say what it is that is born and from where? Similarly, when the wind ceases to blow and the surface of the water once more becomes calm, consider this. What is it that has died? Sonic, let's go ahead and run the break song and then the Sonic question of the week bit, and we will discuss here on Meditative Living.
Meditative Living with this Swami, Shivananda Giri, and our good friend, Sonic, over there in Brighton, United Kingdom. So what's on your mind, Sonic, after that? Uh, well, firstly, namaste. Namaste and blessing. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, so the feel that I was getting with these uh, verses was um, a message of um, calming emotions and um, uh, realizing um, to be both bold in conviction but not too bold to um, think that uh, one is uh, more important or uh, somehow better. Uh, it's all about really pacifying um, self. That's what, well, was, that's what I was getting. A small S. So. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. Um, which we could, in this circumstance, uh, utilize the term ego for yeah. that. Um, the the limited ego suffers all these slings and arrows of confusion and depression and all of that, right? But because Krishna is the guru and because his disciple Arjuna is going through this terrible condition on the battlefield, where he needs to be the warrior that he is, or else he will die, Krishna has to snap him out of this and bring his thinking back around. And this is why he's introducing to him the concept of the infinite and eternal nature which we all share, but we lose sight of 
in order to be the individuated unit of consciousness. Well, I was actually uh, getting another, uh, I was getting the, the, um, the battlefield as a metaphor for uh, death. And, and so that being the ultimate battlefield where, um, you know, the, the stable mind really needs to be focused uh, and prepared for, uh, for you know, eventualities. So, yes. So uh, in order to get through that battle. Absolutely, positively correct. Because in a, in a broader perspective now than just the individuated unit of consciousness embodied as, insert one's name here, okay, this experience of passing through death, beyond death, and the return to incarnation, we all share this. We all go through it over and over and over and over and over again. So, in a wise person, they don't get stressed out about it. They understand this is the process. This is how it works. And they can move from one body to the point of rest in between bodies, then into the next and carry on with what they know they need to learn or whatever it is they need to experience or study or, or whatever, you know, the individuation might require at the level of what in a, in a more uh, Christian way would be referred to as the soul level of individuation. That's in, in the Sanatana Dharma traditions, that is referred to that what we would call a soul, which moves beyond a physical body, right? Yes? yes. No? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So the soul moves beyond the body, but it's still the you-ness. It's still the individual. Okay, and it's not only the individual, it's all that the individual has learned and experienced, the goods, the bads, the pluses, the minuses, all that is somewhat contained within the soul. Now, within Sanatana Dharma, specifically, the tradition this Swami comes from, referred to as Mahadeva, Mahayoga, we have a term for what we are currently referring to as soul, which is Atman. The Atman is that spark from the divine bonfire that takes an individuated form. It's just smaller. And it has limitation to it. But it passes through body after body after body after body, lifetime after lifetime after lifetime after lifetime. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm, 
I'm on page there. <laughs> okay. So, so the Atman is equivalent to the Christian concept of the soul, the finer constituent of an individual, which, which carries or contains all that they've learned, all they've done right, all they've done wrong, all that sort of thing. Okay? Very, very analogous, both of those concepts. Okay? And then there are, you know, there are some Christians or, or Western-type believers who will accept the possibility of reincarnation, and then there are those who do not. Okay. Now, this is not a time for the discussion of that, because what we are discussing here is from a point of view that completely accepts it and knows it to be a fact. And the guru, Krishna, most certainly knows <laughs> all about this and is trying to draw Arjuna's attention away from the petty nonsense of the kinsman and back towards the infinite and eternal nature. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, yeah. He's, he's trying to um, focus, um, focus attention away from mundanity right uh, um and this follows that follows the other uh and to um but to to give uh the courage by saying you've got that within you you just need to pay you know like you say pay attention to right focus on that bit not this flaky bit <laughs> not the doubts not the fears not the depression not not that that has its time and place but this is not the time or the place for that and then the focus um go, go sort of going back to the battlefield that becomes the sword Right. Um, In Arjuna's case, the bow and arrow yeah, yeah. is weapon of choice. But yes, yes, same con same concept. Right. Yeah, the the arrow becomes the 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 focused attention. Right. And see how in chapter one, the depression of Arjuna, when we hear this about his depression, well, we kind of identify with that. Like, wow, he's in about up to his eyeballs in this situation, and this ain't cool. This, I understand how he can be totally confused. These are people he's got great respect for. And how, why should he have to, you know, so being people in a lower state of awareness than the ultimate. This all seems quite reasonable. But this is why 
the Bhagavad Gita was written in the first place. <laughs> For the lessons that Krishna doles out to Arjuna. And so, you know, one who would say, oh, well, Arjuna's completely right. Well, see, now your head is in one of the place this Swami would refer to as the New Ager place, where everything's got to be, oh, just perfect, and oh, no negativity, and oh, no, no crap, that's bull. Nope, everything has its place. And everything must be overcome with the realization of truth. And by the realization of infinite eternal truth, all the rest is seen as what it is. Passing, temporary, of no great importance. Until you return to that very limited perception. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Well, we will wrap it up right there, and we will continue with Chapter 2, The Yoga of Knowledge. Thank you ever so much for all the help, Sonic. It's uh, my pleasure, as always, to... Uh... Namaste to all the listeners. Both of you, <laughs> we will see you next time when we saddle up for episode five of Ganeshwar's Gita, Om Namo Narayana. Bye.